History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen, Let's Roll, with Kathleen and Brian Milanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian are here to discuss current events from a biblical worldview and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melanakis on K-Praise. Merry Christmas. Well, Christmas is only days away. Can you believe it? And I hope it'll be a blessed one for you and your loved ones. A lot of us are already looking ahead to 2021 and what we pray will be for most of us a better year than 2020. Today, we're going to share with you a couple of heartwarming Christmas stories that have a message for this season. This first story is from the book, Chicken Soup for the Soul. It's Christmas. This story is called Sharing a Legacy of Love, and it's written by Kathy Malia Levine. When my mother died at the age of 84, my four sisters and I were heartbroken. How could we ever get over the loss of this warm and loving woman, a talented artist who enjoyed life in spite of its challenges and always doted on her husband, daughters, and grandchildren? For weeks after, my sisters and I would meet for dinner, laughing and crying over old memories. When it came time to sell the home my mother loved, we spent many days in disbelief, clearing out her belongings. I remembered reading an Ann Landers column years earlier that discussed how many siblings fight bitterly over the possessions left by their deceased parents. I thought, how lucky we are that that will never happen to us. Somehow, we easily and peacefully divided mom's belongings furniture, jewelry, and household items among ourselves and a few charities. Although I expected there might be a tug of war over her paintings, that never happened. Pretty good considering there were five daughters and four grandchildren. No conflicts, squabbles, or disputes at all until we discovered the old nativity set in a box in mom's closet. I remembered mom telling the story of how she acquired the manger. An old friend who did carpentry work gave it to my mom and dad as a Christmas gift when they were first married. My sister Eileen, however, remembers it differently. Mom told her that she found the crush in a garbage can belonging to Mrs. Bingham, the elderly lady who lived across the street from us. Unlike some of the ornate versions found in today's stores, this manger was crafted from dark wood and completely unadorned. Just a roof, a floor, and a railing surrounding it. Though beautifully crafted, there was one flaw. One side of the double gate in front was lopsided. Mom filled it with three figurines to start, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. For many years after, she continued to add others, the wise men, shepherds, angels, and animals. As kids, we loved the annual rites of the Christmas season, especially taking the nativity set and decorations down from the attic and carefully putting them in place. When the sisters all married and grandchildren came along, they added new characters of their own to the table. 
after mom's death, when the nativity set emerged, no one was prepared for the battle that would follow. We had hoped to uh, avoid it, but my sister Joanne was the first to claim the manger, insisting it was the only one of mom's possessions that she really wanted. Her wish was granted. But when my niece Mandy found out, she called from her apartment in California to voice her objection. She was clearly emotional as she repeated a decades-old promise made to her by my mother. Nanny promised me that I could have the nativity set when she was gone, she cried. The nativity set belongs to me. Joanne felt strongly that as mom's daughter, she had first dibs. Neither she nor Mandy would budge. When the disagreement showed signs of becoming a full-blown family feud, we realized something had to be done. Enter the family arbitrator, my sister Eileen, who somehow saw through the fog. But as Mandy's mother and Joanne's sister, could Eileen handle this dilemma fairly? Temporarily, she set aside the emotion of the dispute and thought logically. The nativity set was just a wooden stable not an irreplaceable masterpiece of art. The beauty was in the eye of the beholders. The perception of two people who coveted a simple item owned by someone they loved. Couldn't a copy be created? Of course. She would order the wood from the lumberyard and get someone to build a second manger. The following day, Eileen went to center millwork and stood in line behind several contractors ordering lumber from a young man with a crew cut. He was still wearing a tag with his name, Brett, written in green magic marker. When Eileen's turn came, she had to shout over the sound of buzzing saws. She pointed to the nativity set in her arms and told him the story, explaining that it was causing a major rift between her sister Joanne and her daughter Mandy. Brett took the stable from her, held it up with one hand and laughed. They're fighting over this. Yes, Eileen explained. I know it seems crazy, but it was my mother's, and they both loved her very much. Is there any way you could measure and cut some wood so we could have a duplicate built? Brett said, leave it here. I'll see what I can do. Eileen left, hoping he he could come up with a minor miracle. That's what it would take to satisfy the two women in her life that were squabbling. A few days later, she received a phone message saying that her order was ready. When Eileen arrived at the hardware store to pick up the wood, she couldn't believe what she saw. Two identical stables sitting side by side. Brett had not only cut and measured the wood, he had built a second manger. I know you wanted them to look the same, so I added a couple of dings and flaws that were there in the original. Hope that's okay. Sure enough, the new stable had the same lopsided front gate. Okay, Eileen said in tears. You have no idea what this will mean to my sister and my daughter, to the entire family. I don't care what this costs. Your work has saved the day. That will be $3.75 for the materials, Brett said. When Eileen insisted on paying him more, he said, I didn't do it on company time. I built it at home. I'm not charging you for the labor. He pointed to the new manger. I hope this helps your family have a merrier Christmas. 
Eileen left Brett with a large tip and a big hug of thanks. When she got home and called Joanne and Mandy about her creative solution, they were happy and extremely relieved that the problem was resolved. One phone call later, Joanne and Mandy had agreed that Joanne would take possession of the new stable as well as some of the old figurines, including Mary, Joseph, and the infant. Mandy would get to keep the original, just as Nanny had promised. So what, one thing we can learn from this story is that compromise, if not the spice of life, is its solidity. It is what makes nations great and marriage is happy. And that's a quote by Phyllis McGinley. You know, this story makes me remember some of my favorite memories of Christmases over the years. My mother made Christmas fun and meaningful for us five children. We had lots of decorations on the tree and cookies coming out of the oven. One Christmas when I was eight years old, my favorite present from Santa was an umbrella. It was green and white with big flowers on it. I loved twirling it around and walking in the rain with it, with my rain boots on. I always loved being in the Christmas program at church. My mother dutifully took us to all the practices and always beamed at me from the audience when I sang in the choir or played the piano. She has cheered me on through accomplishments and sustained me through many hard times over many years. I love her very much. And I admire how my mom has taken care of my specially able, my specially abled sister ever since she was born in 1952. That means she has sacrificed for her and served her for over 68 years. I don't know how she's done it, and she does it even now at age 91. It is a testament to the Lord's love and care for both of them. I also have very happy memories of when our children were small, Brian and I, our three daughters. I have to admit, before I became a Christian, however, I sometimes, I sometimes used to resent having to take so much time away from what I thought were such important projects, like writing my book for nurses, to you know, do a lot of Christmas things. But when I came to know the Lord, my attitude greatly changed. I began to love putting up decorations and buying gifts and writing Christmas cards. Now I understood the meaning of it, and I took much more joy in it. I especially have always loved the music of Christmas, the choirs, and I still love playing and singing the joy of the season. One of my most precious Christmas memories is the year that our youngest daughter was born in 1994. We all helped to dress up two-month old baby Lissa, in a little red sleeper. We put her in a baby basket with a bow on it and put her under the Christmas tree and sent pictures of her to our friends and family in our Christmas cards. She was the best Christmas gift that our whole family ever received. Remember that very much. You know, and at this time of the year, I'm also feeling very grateful for my parents who raised me and are now long departed. What comes to mind is not necessarily a particularly heartwarming story, but rather a lifetime of hard work, devotion to us four children, and amazing dependability. 
My parents were raised in the Depression, and my mother in particular often did not have enough food to eat growing up. My mother also had a condition known as strabismus. It's often called being cross-eyed, and she told me she was often kitted at school for it. Her family could never afford to get her eyes corrected. Finally, as an adult over 40 years of age, she was able to get the operation to finally correct her crossed eyes. I have some other memories too, and I'm going to continue with these after the break. And I also have a story I really want to read to you, a classic story from Leo Tolstoy. Be right back. There is more Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Still to come on K-Praise. Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Milanakis on K-Praise. A little bit more about my mom. She was a quiet woman. She had a very soft voice. But none of us four children, I was the oldest, ever wanted to disappoint her. That doesn't mean I never did disappoint her. Sometimes we did. I remember the time I punched my younger brother so hard in the stomach in anger that he bent over in such pain we thought he would have to go to the doctor. My mother did not yell at me. She just cried and asked me why I did that. I immediately started crying myself and asked for forgiveness. Till the day she died, she always put her family first. She was plagued with Alzheimer's for eight years before she died. And a memory I have is just about a month or less before she passed, we had a large family reunion of all the children and grandchildren but, and my mother was there. She'd lost almost all her faculties at this point and did not seem to recognize us. However, we had a talent show, and each of the children and grandchildren sang a song or did some talent, and me without a lot of talent. Uh, my talent was telling some bad jokes. But suddenly my mother seemed to become conscious and recognize at least some of what we were saying. I saw her spirit was still there, and I thanked God for that. So now I'm going to read. It's a very special classic Christmas story by Leo Tolstoy. It's called Papa Panov's Special Christmas, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. It was Christmas Eve, and although it was still afternoon, lights had begun to appear in the shops and houses of the little Russian village. For the short winter day was nearly over. Excited children scurried indoors and only muffled sounds of chatter and laughter escaped from behind the closed shutters. Old Papa Panov, the village shoemaker, stepped outside his shop to take one last look around. The sounds of happiness, the bright lights, and the faint but delicious smells of Christmas cooking reminded him of past Christmases when his wife had still been alive and his own children were young. Now they had gone, his usually cheerful face with the little laughter wrinkles behind the round steel spectacles now looked sad. He stepped back into his shop, closed the shutters, set a pot of coffee to heat on the stove, and with a sigh, he settled into his big armchair. Papa Panov did not often read, but tonight he pulled down the big old family Bible. He turned the pages to the birth of Jesus and slowly began tracing the lines with his forefinger. He read how Mary and Joseph, tired by their journey to Bethlehem, 
found no room for them at the inn so that Mary's little baby was born in a stable. Oh, dear, exclaimed Papa Panoff, if they had only come here, I would have given them my bed, and I could have covered the baby with my patchwork quilt. He read on about the wise men who came to see the baby Jesus, bringing him splendid gifts. Papa Panoff's face fell. I have no gift like that that I could give him. But then his face brightened. He put down the Bible, got up, stretched his arms to the shelf in the little room, and he pulled down a small dusty box and opened it. Inside the box was a perfect pair of tiny leather shoes. Papa, Papa Panoff smiled with satisfaction. Yes, they were as good as he had remembered, the best shoes he'd ever made. I should give him those, he decided, as he gently put them away and sat down again. He was starting to feel tired, and the further he read, the sleepier he got. The print began to dance before his eyes, so he closed them for just a minute. But in no time, Papa Panov was fast asleep. He dreamed that someone was in his room, and he knew at once, as one does in dreams, who the person was. It was Jesus. You have been wishing that you could see me, Papa Panoff, Jesus said kindly. Then look for me tomorrow. It will be Christmas Day, and I will visit you. But look carefully, for I shall not tell you who I am. When Papa Panoff awoke, the bells were ringing out and a thin light was filtering through the shutters. Bless my soul, said Papa Panoff, it's Christmas Day. He stood up and stretched. Then his face filled with happiness as he remembered his dream. This would be a very special Christmas, for Jesus was coming to visit him. But how would he look? Would he be a little baby, like that first Christmas? Would he be a grown man? Would he be a carpenter? Or would he be the great king that he was as God's son? Papa Panoff thought to himself he must watch carefully the whole day. He put on a special pot of coffee for his Christmas breakfast. He opened the shutters and looked out the window. The street was deserted. No one was stirring yet. No one except the road sweeper that he saw every day. The man looked as miserable and as dirty as ever. Whoever wanted to work on Christmas morning in such a cold and freezing mist? Papa Panoff opened the shop door. He said, come in. Come in and have some hot coffee to keep out of the cold. The sweeper looked up, scarcely able to believe his ears. He was only too glad to put down his broom and come into the warm room. His old clothes steamed gently in the heat of the stove, and he clasped both red hands round the comforting warm mug as he drank. Papa Panov watched him with satisfaction, but every now and then his eyes strayed to the window. It would never do to miss the special visitor. Expecting someone, the sweeper asked at last. So Papa Panov told him about his dream. Well, I hope he comes. You've given me a bit of Christmas cheer I never expected to have. I'd say you deserve to have your dream come true. And the sweeper smiled. When he'd gone, Papa Panov put him some cabbage soup for his supper and went to the door again. Scanning the street, he saw no one. But he was mistaken. Someone was coming. It was a girl walking slowly and quietly. It was a while before Papa Panov noticed her. The girl looked very tired. She was carrying something. As she drew nearer, he could see that it was a baby wrapped in a thin shawl. 
there was a lot of sadness in her face. And in the pinched little face of the baby, Papa Panov's heart went out to them. Won't you come in, he said, stepping outside to meet them. You both need to warm by the fire. The young mother let him shepherd her indoors into the comfort of the armchair. She gave a big sigh of relief. I'll warm some milk for the baby, Papa Panov said. I've had children of my own, you know. I can feed her for you. He took the milk from the stove and carefully fed the baby from a spoon, warming her tiny feet by the stove at the same time. She needs shoes, the cobbler said. The girl replied, I cannot afford shoes. I have no husband to bring home money. I'm on my way to the next village to get work. A sudden thought flashed through Papa Panov's mind. He remembered the little shoes he'd looked up at last night. But he'd been keeping those for Jesus. He looked again at the cold little feet and he made up his mind. Try these on her, he said, handing the baby and the shoes to the mother. The beautiful little shoes were a perfect fit. The girl smiled happily and the baby gurgled with pleasure. You have been so kind to us, the girl said. She then stood up with her baby and said, May all your Christmas wishes come true. But Papa Panov was beginning to wonder if his very special Christmas wish would come true. Perhaps he had missed his visitor? He looked anxiously up and down the street. There were plenty of people around, but they were all faces he recognized. There were neighbors going to call on their families. They nodded and smiled and wished him Happy Christmas. There were beggars, and Papa Panov hurried inside to fetch them hot soup and a generous hunk of bread. He hurried out again so he wouldn't miss the important stranger. All too soon the winter dusk fell. When Papa Panov next went to the door and strained his eyes, he could no longer make out the passers-by. It was getting too dark, and most of the people were home by now. He walked slowly back into his room, closed the shutters, and sat down wearily in his armchair. So it has been just a dream after all, he thought to himself. Jesus has not come. Then all at once, he knew that he was no longer alone in the room. And he knew it wasn't a dream because he was still wide awake. Suddenly, he saw a long stream of people coming towards him. He then recognized the road sweeper. He recognized the young mother and her baby. And he saw the beggars he had fed. As they passed by him, each whispered, Didn't you see me, Papa Panoff? Bewildered, he called out to each of them, Who are you? Then another voice answered him. It was the voice from his dream. It was the voice of Jesus. I was hungry, and you fed me, Jesus said. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was cold, and you warmed me. I came to you today, and every one of those you helped and welcomed. Then all was quiet and still, only the sound of the clock ticking in the background. But a great peace and happiness seemed to fill the whole room and overflowing Papa Panov's heart until he wanted to burst out singing and laughing and dancing with joy. Papa Panov smiled and said, So he did come, after all. 
I just love that story. Just keep that in mind. And to bless your neighbor this week and every week, look for opportunities and blessings to be a Papa Panoff to someone in need. May you be a blessing to others and serve the Lord. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Join us next week at this same time as Kathleen Melanakis, author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian Melanakis, former company president, explore the deeper issues and spiritual forces behind the news and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover more major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. To learn more about the show, how to become a guest or sponsor, send an email to biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. That's biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. This has been Biblical Citizen. Let's roll on K-Praise. That's right, he wasn't there. Yeah.